Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. Yes, there is lots of stuff to read, but we're all really busy. The phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal, not a reality. We created the Sendcast trying to help solve that problem to help make schools more inclusive and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. And that Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to schools and parents to get a consistent approach. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest on that I've invited to talk about a topic they specialise or in or passionate about. And this week, we're discussing how to empower students with SEND to support their mental health. We're discussing this with my guest, Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie teaches a range of students in post-16 environments. She uses multi-sensory teaching strategies to cover complex topics to help those students learn. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you about B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, we've supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 10,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress, with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system ever since helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD platform, Training for Education, which we started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference, now also includes a range of training courses as well as those conferences. If you want to find out more about B Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk, and you'll find lots of information available. And you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or if you confer, you can just drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing empowering mental health for students with SEND. Joining me today is Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie is the curriculum manager at the Sixth Form College, Farnborough. She is passionate about discovering how children learn and supporting them in ways that enable them to succeed. She has provided training to PGCE students at King's University and a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She's also delivers talks on multi-sensory techniques around the world. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale. You're welcome. Susie isn't the only guest in the studio today. We also have the amazing Percy Pig. Of course. Because uh, last time Susie came in a podcast, it was your 25th year at Farnborough College, and she celebrated that during mini lockdown time period last year with me. Slightly disappointing for her, but Percy was there to keep us going. So Percy is back because I'm returning the favour to Susie. Thank you very much, Dale. So you've worked with lots of young people with special needs and mental health issues, mm-hmm. and you work in the community supporting mental health. So you really do have a lot of experience supporting mental health. Yes, I do. I do. And I think that started a long, long time ago as a child. Our next door neighbour, her name was Beatrice, and I think she probably had bipolar disorder at the time. And what used to happen was Beatrice used to throw silver spoons through the letterbox And my mother would say, who was a nurse, she would say, oh, my goodness, Beatrice has gone off a trolley again. I better go round and give her her medicine. Now, if she didn't take her medicine, then a couple of weeks later, the boys would come round with the straight jackets and they'd put her in the car and they'd take her away to Claybury. And I think this experience so many years ago as a child actually helped me to understand now the students with mental health issues but it just didn't stop there because there were many many instances when I was at home as a child that I came across with people with mental health issues and the most important thing when Beatrice came round was to use your sense of humour it was a bit like being in the room with Kenneth Graham oh Susie let's stop being juggling and she used to get the oranges out when she used to juggle these oranges she was as high as a guy and it was just so funny you know and the whole room would start juggling oranges and just to know that you know she had talent she was really good at juggling and we were trying to shift her thoughts onto something else you know trying to get her to get better but the most important thing 
with Beatrice was to be kind. And she hated it when the men came round with the straight jackets and she was taken away and sectioned in Claybury Hospital. But as a child, I learnt the trumpet when I was seven. And we used to play in an orchestra on a, on a Friday night in Brentwood. Actually, in Brentwood, there was a mental health hospital there called Worley Hospital. They said, oh, you're going to do a concert at Worley Hospital. I thought, oh, my goodness. It's going to be full of these people with three heads and four tails. I don't want to do it. No, 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 I won't go and do it. I, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was really scared. But anyway, we went there and we did the concert. And right at the end, the, the conductor said, have I got any requests? And this man, who was disheveled, sat in his chair. He said, suddenly looked up. He goes, I'd like to sing a song, please, Mr. Taylor. And he said, which one would you like to sing? And Mr. Taylor sat at the piano and this man came out of himself and he just sang away. It was absolutely amazing. And I didn't realise that people that are in mental hospitals could sing, you know, that they've got talents and things like that. That was a real success story for him. And that, you know, we would give everyone a chance and don't judge a book by its cover, you know. I suppose whenever you talk about someone with mental health issues, you always then talk about the issues and what kind of led them to being taken away in a straitjacket. You ask what you talk about, oh, he did this and then this happened. Oh, my God, it was so bad. You actually forget everything else. You don't hear about the bit that made them actually the person, the person they were before, what their passions were. You just hear, a bit, hear about the bit they're struggling with. You do, yes. There was a man who played in the orchestra. I'll call him Bob for now. I can't actually remember his name. And he used to play second violin. He used to sit in the back, scraping away. And we did a German evening. And the local press came along. Instead of talking about the orchestra, next week, on the front page on the Brentwood Gazette was, Man Sleeps in Garage. For 25 years. And he used to absolutely stink. He used to have yellow hair. He used to wear the same trousers every week. And he lived in a garage in the car. But the one thing for him was to go to the orchestra. And nobody was nasty about him. They knew the stank. He just, just sat a bit further away downwind from him. You know, you made sure that you didn't sort of sniff up the smell. It wasn't a very nice smell. And they actually took him in to Worley. And they washed him up. They gave him new clothes. Gave him somewhere to live. And... We didn't recognise him the next week. Wow. He looked completely different. They gave him a haircut, new pair of trousers, new shirt. But it was a, still the same man. He still had that talent. He just lived in a car in a garage for 25 years. And that's what happens. And I think those experiences as a child, you know, you can then use those experiences later on in life. What do you do with someone that smells, looks a bit funny? Well, you talk to them. You don't prejudge them. No. Because they might be really gifted and talented. Generally, you're, you, you're seeing one aspect which makes you have a judgment. So mm. we work with a, a B-squared, we work with a company in Malta. So mm. we've been out to Malta and outside their office, is, Malta is a really fascinating place, mm. lots of stuff in different ways, but they're kind of the first touching point for Europe. So lots of immigration comes from Africa on the boats. You hear about it all in the Mediterranean. A lot of them hit Malta. But there's also various other issues. And you see people living in cars. Mm -hmm. You just sit there going, how can you live in a car? And the answer is because you have no other choice. It's not a, I think I'll live in a car. Mm -hmm. It's a, you have no choice. But again, that's all you think about that person. But actually, there's so much more to them than that. That's just one aspect of them right now. It's not mm. a set in stone thing either. That's just mm. right now. Mm. Something could have gone wrong at home with family, with work, and it's led them to this situation. It's not their defining part though. Mm. That's right. When we played in the band in, in London, I, I played in, in the Strand in a very big hotel there. And um, one of the boys who was the drummer had an old MG. And late at night... We finished the gig. He went to get in the car and he couldn't get it to work. And we pushed it under this bridge and Cardboard City was there and it coughed and it spluttered. And they all sat up out of their cardboard boxes and all started clapping. It was amazing. These people became alive, you know, at two o'clock in the morning. They all started clapping and jeering for him. But there is a sequel to that because there was a boy under that bridge at the time called Eddie 
And he came to work with the students at the sixth form college and he came to talk about being homeless. The teacher said, oh, I'll go and talk to Susie's students. They'll be interested. And um, so he was talking to them about being homeless, living in cardboard boxes and things like that. And I told him the story about when I was playing in the band in the Strand and we pushed this car under the bridge and they all sat up clapping. He goes, I was there. And he said, and I clapped that night for you wow. to get that car started. And my students were going, oh, Susie, you're so cool. You've got so much good stories to tell. You do. And, <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of all fits together. You know, we met Eddie and Eddie lived on the streets. He was helping the homeless and, and he was a really, really nice chap. And they said he's the only person that's ever come into our class and he swears like a trooper and you let him get away with it, Susie. That's so unfair because if we swear, you tell us off. So, yeah, that's just a quick story about already, And another one to add about the mental health illness there. And as I go through history, I'm going through school with friends of mine that might have been anorexic. And it's important to make time for your friends, help them find solutions and tell them you care. And just be kind to them. And when I was at university, I went to Newcastle. I had a friend there. And she just completely lost it one Sunday afternoon. And she was sat on the chair and she goes, oh, Susie, I don't know what to do. And so I took her down to the student uh, health centre and they took her in and gave her some drugs, etc. and looked after her. But it's really important to me to never give up on my friends, to never give up on her and be there for her and to listen to her. But know when to ask professional help and know that there's a point where you can't do everything. You need to sort of hand over to the GP or whoever. I would say um, just listening to you Susie in the podcast and outside of the podcast as we've talked that there are probably two there's a skill that you have which is you are so approachable mm. so much fun mm. and I would literally if someone's struggling a lot of time I would have anxiety about talking to them on what should I say what should I do and I'd be worried well, could I make the situation work would I say the wrong thing and I think from listening to you and the things you talk about it is the first thing you've got to do is you have to reach out. You've mm. actually got to get past mm. your own anxieties, mm. talk to them, probably with no expectations of much back. You're literally you're right. going in there and you're just, you're there for them. You're letting them know you're there and just talking to them. Mm. And for me, that's you sit there and you sit there, how do I approach this situation? And you just hesitate so long, you don't approach the situation. Whereas you just seem to be able to just swan in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that is you know all my friends are bonkers I, and I'm just used to it I think growing up with it but I think you know what's really important whoever you're working with just to give them some time give them some time to to listen let them talk um but recognize the signs yeah talking about earlier we were talking about body language and um, I've got that body language book the Collins one which has got loads and loads of pictures in and, and just recognising just by the way someone's sitting, is there something wrong? And be approachable. And if you think there's something not quite right, just by the way they're sitting, just by the way they're tilting their head, initiate a discussion. Maybe not in the classroom, maybe outside. You've got to show compassion. You've got to show understanding, but you can't say that you know everything. You have to pass it up the line. And I think that's really important. Know your limits. Don't be an expert you know, know when to go and ask for help, you know, ask for help for them, extra help for them. And sometimes you might come across something and say, oh my goodness, and go and speak to someone else yourself too. You know, if you come across something with a student who's got mental health issues or has special needs and they're not coping, for example, they might have depression if they've got dyslexia or autism, not be an expert, not be a doctor. You know, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a doctor of flies mating. So, you know, you, you can't say, look, I go and speak to the doctor. I know some of them say, oh, Susie, you're a doctor. Can you tell me what to do about this? I say, no, I'm not a doctor. Go to GP. But know when to say you need help, when they realise they need help and ask for help and pass it up the line. I always find myself, if you're having a conversation with someone, you're trying to relate your experiences to theirs. So you'll mm. sit there and I'm struggling with this. And I'll go, okay, what have I struggled with? And you're trying to relate, sort of sit there and make, you know, the only person struggling, we've all, and you, you're trying to do that. And then, then, their, then their stories will get really, kind of go a lot deeper. And you're going, 
I've got no stories now. I've got I've got nothing to sort of say. Yeah, I've gone through that, and that's where I find I struggle. And I go, if I can't sort of say I've gone through that or put myself in there, that's where I struggle with. Well, what do I say in that situation? Do I just sit there listening? Do I try and give them an answer? Um, I think it was from the stream about a boy. I wish I knew a man on the old Kent Road who could fix it. Mm. Um, I, I sit there going, I don't have an answer. I, I need to have, an, and that's where I find that in those conversations I struggle because they're telling me all this stuff, and I'm going. How do I respond? Do I, is, and I suppose what you're saying is is letting them let it out is part of it, is part of that journey for them. I think so. And and working, you know, volunteering with the people, with the Russian Volunteers, the Blooming Marvellous Project, working with people in the community when they're relaxed and they're in the garden where we're growing vegetables, they tell me all the services that they go to and all the things they do. And so it be, then becomes second nature as to what to say next, how to help the people. They tell me how they've got the help and what they're doing and what they feel like, you know, and and, and they might say, oh, I don't feel so good today. And then the other people in the group will go around and talk to them. And by the end time we've finished, they'll feel a lot better. And I know in the group who's got special needs. I know who's got autism. I know who's who's got schizophrenia. I know who's got PTSD. And you're sort of aware of what you've got to do around them and their triggers. And, and that's what's really important, knowing that student's triggers, what sets them off, um, what makes them feel better, eating Percy pigs. Um, that's so important. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think you just have to engage with people and, and see what makes them tick. Definitely. And I think that is, is I'm trying to think of experiences where I've, I've sit there and it is is you might not have an answer, but sometimes asking the question, well, who who can you go to? And sometimes if they don't know who to go to, you might actually sit there and go, oh, well, there are some things which can help. Mm. So sometimes it's it's I can go to them, and then sometimes it might be just going, well, did you go to them when you meet up with them again? Is sometimes they've got to, you can't take the steps for them. No. So they've got no. to take those steps, but you could be sit there, not nagging them. But guiding them and trying to help them. Yeah, and at college, sometimes you're given warning. So um, sometime this academic year, the tutor actually messaged me on a Sunday and said, one of your students has had a horrific experience. I'm giving you the heads up because she's going to come in on Monday morning. And she came in. I took the register and I didn't single her out. And they all started working. And I was happy she was there. And then I went over and I said, I'll call her Mary for now. I said, Mary, your tutor's given me um, a message that something's happened yesterday. Are you okay? She said, not really. I said, let's go out in the garden then. So we went out into my multi-sensory garden, which I built with a, a, you know, a couple of benches and we've got a couple of vegetable trucks with flowers in and we sat out there. Can I, can I just point out that this multi-sensory garden isn't in a little special school for complex needs. This no. is in Farnborough College. Yeah, sixth form college at the back by the compactors where the skips are. But it's housed. That's the skips are housed in, in, in a wooden structure. And then the caretakers have said, the groundsman said that I can have this little area where I can put my benches in and I've got hanging baskets and um, hologram sort of things going round and whizzing round on hooks that, just to make it look pretty. And the students can sit there and when they're going to have a meltdown or there's something really serious, we've got somewhere to go. Because up until a couple of years ago, I used to just sit on the back steps coming out of the IT centre, which was metal. And you get a really, really cold in the winter sitting on those back steps. And people can walk past Yeah, as well. they can walk past So them. you're then feeling really anxious because people yeah. can see you. Yeah, but here it's all secluded. We all sit, we sit there, and I I said to Mary, "Are you okay?" She said, "Not really." And she told me what had happened. I listened. I think that's the most important thing. You listen. You show compassion. And then I said to her, "You've got to pass it up the line, you know, because this was a biggie. I've had a few biggies in the past, but this was a real biggie." And I said, "Okay, will you go and see the nurse?" And she said, "Yes." So you, she went to see the nurse. She said, I've got a support worker. She phoned her. She said, I'll speak to her within an, the hour. She spoke to her within the hour. I messaged a tutor to say she had told me and she was going to do that. But the most important thing was, she said, 
I'll be in your lesson tomorrow. And that was really good because you knew that we got somewhere that she hadn't got so bad that she just won't come to college. Because sometimes the most important thing is for her to attend because then we can look after her. So you need that relationship. Yeah, it's the co-working. Yeah. And at the TES show, when we were speaking with the Children's Commissioner at the time, Anne Longfield, who's now um, given up in March, passed it on to the next person, she said the most important thing is the co-working that the teacher passes to the nurse, to the counsellor, to the support worker, whoever it is, and you're all working together in this fantastic multidisciplinary team. That's something. Some schools do really well at that. I know from my mm. experience, emailing um, like the head of year with a concern. Mm. Um, within an hour, we often get an email back saying, I've talked to this person, I've talked to this person, I've talked to this person, we are going to do this. You literally go... Wow, this isn't just like you've had an email, you've just typed in, you've literally had an email, gone off, talked to people, kind of put things in motion already, mm. and then come back to me. And it's like, wow, it's a long way away from when I was at school. Yeah. You, the, there wasn't anything I don't, when I went to school. It was yeah. uh, you, kind of them, you're being naughty, or this, or go sit outside that teacher's office, or go see that teacher, you're in. It wasn't support, it was more punishment oh my brother he was always in there you see when we went to school <laughs> he went to a jesuit school in upminster and um he used to get ferulers which i whipped with some sort of cane thing but the thing was my younger sister seven years younger than me and every time mum used to do the tour of picking us up from school there was my brother in there in the headmaster's office having his ferulers and um i was oh where is your brother again she would always send my younger sister, who had blonde hair, she said, please can my brother come home because I'm really hungry and I want to have my tea. <laughs> We've come a long way. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of how, I'm going to say a large, we're, not, no, we're a long way from all, but a large number of schools are good at listening. Sometimes it mm. takes a person in that school, probably like Dr. Susie Nyman, to set a really good example that others follow. Mm. So sometimes it's one person in that school can make a big difference and show others that there is a different way that actually rather than doing the same thing 10 times expecting a different outcome mm. we can try a different thing and, and get a different outcome which is actually better for everyone involved sometimes it takes that one person which then kind of that filters out to others who then follow that person's lead so it's not something magically that can happen it's sometimes it's one person does stuff differently and other people see the impact and start to believe yeah, and that's what we did with the Nepalese earthquake. My students, I went in, I remember the, it was a Tuesday afternoon and I went round the room and I said, have you been affected by this? And that class was full of Nepalese students. And one said, yes, I've lost my family home. I've lost my grandparents. I can't find my father. I don't know where my brother is. And I just said, what can we do? And I've done a lot of things where the whole college comes together or, or a group of students come together and for that, what happened was one of the girls in my class, she was one of the thappers, I won't say her first name. She said, Susie, I haven't been affected by this earthquake, but I want to help people. I want to raise money for the Nepalese so that I can make things better for them. And I said, OK. I said, I went to my mother-in-law's at the weekend and she gave me this Mr Kipling Viennese world Actually, I don't like them at all. They're sitting on my desk. I said, would you like to share them with the class? And if we do, we can then charge 50p for each Viennese world. She goes, oh, OK. So we sold the Viennese worlds. I think we got about £2.50. The girl then went to Asda and she bought ingredients to make a cake. And her friends then made more cakes and they put out buckets and by the end of the week they've made £2,000. And so that made the community and those Nepalese students started supporting one another, helping one another to get over that disaster. That was really nice. And um, on the way home, I was going on the train from Farnborough North down to Reading and this woman tapped me on the shoulder. She said, I'm going to get my, my daughter to come to this college. And I said, why is that? She said because I met these wonderful Nepalese students who were raising money for the earthquake. And it was such a moving experience. 
I want my daughter to be part of that. And she said, I'm going to make sure my daughter comes here. It is. It is. Like one person starts, and a lot of time you sit there, and I'm one of those people who I, I see something, I'm going, that is shocking. What can I do? And then the answer is, I go, I don't know. And I, therefore, I often end up doing nothing. Not because I don't want to. I just don't know what to do. And it's great when someone sits there and goes, let's do this. Oh, we're all for it. Mm. And I think, again, for lots of people, when they do that, it helps them. And I think when, you, when something happens like that earthquake, a lot of people will feel lost. Mm. And you end up in a sea of despair. But you sit there and you get lost. And time can just disappear as you're sitting there going, what do I do? And again, having something to do where you feel like you're making a difference because you are making a difference. You are raising money, which will support people, gives you focus. And then when you find out there is something horrible happening and you are making a difference, it makes you feel better. It brings that community spirit. And as you've just said, sitting on that train, that community spirit isn't just a small thing. It grows and it impacts so much more than you realise. You think like sometimes your impact is this big and you think, oh, I'm probably impacting everyone in the college. No, you're probably impacting a much wider area just by bringing in those Viennese wells. I didn't even like. (laughs) I didn't even like the taste. But that example you just said there, my son trained to be a chef and in lockdown he said, Mum, I am so bored. And I said, well, what would you like to do? And he said, let's make some soup. So he made soup and he said, oh, who are we going to give it to? And I went down my address book and I said, oh, I'll phone all my old codgers from college that started with me and now are retired and um, we can go and deliver it to them. So we got some bags from Costco to, to put the soup in or some takeaway boxes we used. And I phoned up and I phoned up the first one and I said, Hello, I call her Simone for now. I say, hello, Simone, how are you? And she said, Susie, I'm not coping at all. I've got my 97-year-old mum at home. It's really hard. I said, don't worry. I said, Meals on Wheels is coming. We're in the car and we're going to deliver you some soup. And she said, oh, Susie, that's amazing. So we delivered her some soup. And we did, we've done that for over a year. We've done that since last March. Delivered soup on a Saturday morning to people. Um, I had another friend whose mother was in hospital with coronavirus. She was isolated for two weeks. And I just sent her a text message, said, how are you doing? She said, I'm not doing very well. I'll call her Louise for now. And I said, Louise, Meals on Wheels is on the way and we'll deliver you some soup. She says, Susie, you've made my my day because I've been stuck in the house for two weeks I have to self-isolate because my mum's got coronavirus and we will go there every week and drop the soup off and you could see their face lifting and and we delivered some midwives um, other people in fleet and um, people in blooming marvelous and the chap in blooming marvelous he said Susie you make my week and a couple of months ago his parents sent me a card to say thank you that it kept his son going all through lockdown but we enjoyed it we enjoy giving you know it doesn't really cost very much to make vegetable soup you can make shed loads of it and if we're growing vegetables in the allotment in all the shop then we can just use them and redistribute the soup out to the community and it's something for you to look forward to it's something for them to look forward to and what they like is a 10 minute chat show I just say it's all part of the service. Don't worry. It's all part of the service. I can imagine your 10-minute chat show not really being 10-minute chat. <laughs> no, my husband's sitting in the car. He goes, you've been half an hour. We've got to get on to the next one. <laughs> Acts of random kindness, I'm going to call them. Mm-hmm. It is, it's doing those things for someone else. You don't need to. They're not expecting it. It just happens, just lifts someone absolutely lifts even if you didn't realize you needed lifting you mm-hmm. don't realize it until after the event you sit there and you go wow i wasn't in a great place till that happened and especially over the last year with all the lockdowns someone gifted us with etsy basically sent us basically it was like an afternoon tea in a box i know it was marvelous we sent one to you didn't we <laughs> so we, we received this, this box wow. which was just afternoon tea in a box and you literally just went who sent us this and you found out, you went, that, ah, and we had afternoon tea. So unexpected, 
wouldn't even think about doing it because it's quite a random thing to have afternoon tea in mm. lockdown. But we had an amazing afternoon tea. And I was like, this is amazing. And it was coming up to the birthday of the Sencast. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do this to all our speakers. So we sent all our speakers an afternoon tea. And it just arrived without you knowing, did it? I know. I was expecting some work from Barton <laughs> Peverell. And my technician wrote to me and said, Susie, you've got a delivery. And I went, oh, jolly good. So I went up. And she said, you've got two parcels. I said, no, I've got one. She goes, no, no, you've got two. And I got in the car. I thought, what is this? I've got a scone. I've got jam. I've got cream, clotted cream, Cornish clotted cream. Apparently the Cornish boy that I know told me it was the posh clotted cream. And I said, there's a bit of this sort of hairy stuff in there, the, the packaging. Who sent me this? Why have they sent it to me? And then my husband goes, Susie, it's an afternoon tea. And I went, oh, is it? Oh, great. So we had that. And I actually took it to college and I shared it out the next day with my team. And um, one of my members goes, I'll be having that scone because my husband likes them. And I'll have the biscuits and I'll have this, that and the other. And it lifted their day, not just mine, but the whole team. Yeah. Because we shared it. It was able to just randomly, we got we got lovely messages from all the speakers going, thanks, yeah. it really lifted my week. Yeah. And it is just this random thing, turns up, unexpected, just gives you a lovely boost. But the lady in my team is always going, where's my present? So I said, here you go, here's your present. Cool, so we, we've done a lot of history and you are talking about college. how you're supporting your students mm-hmm. at college. Um, so you, you've been able to really draw on all those experiences throughout your life. And it's not telling you how to fix things because no. even though you're a doctor, you might be able to fix them. Um, but it is telling you how to approach. And you said getting in, going up to that next level and going when to recognise when you need that support. And that is also a really important thing, isn't it? Knowing yeah. when. Because I suppose there's times where you think that person will want support and there's times where maybe that person doesn't want that support, but you still have to go there. So I post them to maybe someone else. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a interesting challenge Mm. so we have a process at college before you start college you put in this college application and it might something might be hinted on that application form you might have a taste today and I know recently or a couple of years ago I had a taste today and there was one girl on that taste today that acted really strangely and I phoned the nurse I said hey nurse we've got a really weird one here the name is I'll call Amelia for now I said look out for her And she did turn out to be someone that needed a lot of support. We might find out from open evenings, you know, um, someone might come up to us and tell us. I remember at one open evening there was a girl came in a wheelchair and um, she said she wanted to do health and social care. So I was aware that she was going to come and what, what sort of adaptations we could put in place for her. But during the lessons, as I said before, my book of body language, absolutely brilliant. You might get a message by email or we use something called Crystal Web. Just knowing what to do, getting the heads up of what that person is going to be like. And and if there is a difficulty, take them out to the garden and then outside lessons, follow up with a tutor. They might be signposted to the counsellors. We've got a big counselling service, CAMS, uh, social services, or they might go to other charities and support groups and services. And those support groups and services in our area, I learn about firsthand from the people at Blooming Marvellous. So the college application is really quite complex. But if we come across something, we have to listen, record and refer. It's really important to listen, record and refer. And quite often in the first minute of a lesson, the start of the year I can tell just by the way someone is sitting that there's something wrong from their body language they might have had a lack of sleep they might have been playing tv or internet games and what's really interesting is that only maybe five out of 20 in my class have actually eaten first thing in the morning so I have this popcorn machine that I fire up but obviously I can't do in covid but um before I would have popcorn and then I'd fire the machine up and then the other teacher would be coming down the corridor going, what's going on down there? There's this smell coming down the corridor of popcorn. I said, do you want some? You get a sheet of A4, make it into a cone. It flies out the popcorn machine. They scoop it up and then eat something. Then they can concentrate. It's really important for them to eat. 
the reason they might be having difficulty, they might have a part-time job. I'm, I'm just going to talk about that part. I had a part-time yeah. job when I was at college. Mm. And one of my battles was they would offer me money. Mm. Would anyone like some extra hours? It's like I'd literally do the maths. That's an extra 20 quid when you earn three quid an hour. And I'd literally go, oh, that's quite a bit of money. And they'd offer me. And there are times where I just completely skipped college to go and work. I won't say my attendance figure. It was rather shocking and shouldn't be allowed. But I was earning money. And it was a really, I looked at college and I didn't enjoy college. I chose subjects I initially enjoyed, but for various reasons, I wasn't enjoying it at college. And I had this thing looking at me and offering me money. So I went for the money. Mm. I went for the instant gratification of getting money and spending it mm -hmm. rather than the long term of getting a better job and doing other stuff so that is it's not just saying have they got a part-time job it's mm -hmm. are they being pressured into additional hours is and what type what hours are they working there's lots of things about if they do have that part-time job they may need some help balancing their life that's right and, and it can take over and i i do remember playing it at gig in London till two o'clock in the morning and the next morning I had A-level physics. <laughs> I have no idea what Dr. Ramson was talking about. She could have been talking Swahili for all I know because I was absolutely exhausted. But as you say, I did have 20 quid in my purse from the gig the night before and I yes. felt really chuffed and at that, moment, that I made that, money. That's your priority. I know. And it's really hard thinking, yeah, that's great instant reward, but long-term reward is you need to be well, at college or you, you need to be putting the effort in. And there's also is um, if you've got your part-time job, you're missing out on social life because you're working. So you have to try and fit that in. They need to balance everything. It's really important to balance everything. And if you get the sniff that they're working at a particular company, you know that they quite often ask for them to do extra hours and that they're not overdoing it. Yeah. That's really, really important. And I suppose with all of these things you've talked about, the part-time jobs, the not eating, the not sleeping, mm. they, they don't have their life experience to self-analyse and realise that that really wasn't a good week. I need more. i got to stop doing that. Or why do even why do I feel so rubbish? Mm. They don't have that experience to sit there and go, God, I've been really rubbed. That comes with lots of experience and realising. Lots of gigs in London, lots playing of, till two in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and then going to school the next day and absolutely whacked. I remember having one of those weeks where it was one of, I just, I'll sleep tomorrow night. Yeah. And that night didn't come for nine nights. I literally got. Oh my goodness. It was just one of those weeks. Everyone invited me out in one week and I was just out constantly. And I thought, I'll go out tonight, I'll sleep tomorrow night. And it just got that got pushed back. So I got like three hours sleep a night for over like eight days. I was absolutely, and I was, somehow I was working. Mm. And I was driving a forklift truck. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you don't want to put those prongs in the wrong place. Now I sit there and look back and go, How did I do what it? was I think? That was so dangerous. Those all the adulty things to say. But I, I, you think you can cope with it. Obviously, now, now as you get older, you can't you can't miss your afternoon kip without the impact. Mm -hmm. um, when you're younger, you seem to, but you don't understand the impact, the longer term impact. It builds up, and the micro changes in your concentration and your social etiquettes disappear. <laughs> <laughs> you get slightly tetchy when you say good morning, <laughs> or can you do this? Um, Obviously, I'm not referring to my daughters at all in their teenage years. Mm. Um, you don't have the skills to self-manage. No, and someone needs to step in and say no. And they, mm. they might not be getting that from home either. No, that's the problem. So, um, especially I think in your post-16, where they mm. are a lot more independent, they've given yeah. a lot more freedom. Mm. You really sometimes need to sit there and go, actually, is this person able to set their own boundaries? Are mm. they able to live by mm. them? If not, how can we help them? Because I think without the boundaries, you, you kind of lose sense of what you're doing and where you're going. Yeah, and I think because, as you've spoken about, you're, you're staying up for nine days. I, you know, I did three parties in a row, three days running, and, and then I thought, oh, that's why you don't do that. <laughs> yes. 
because I think it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I remember going to lectures Monday morning thinking, why do I feel so rubbish? You know, it's it's really important to not go to three parties in three days um, because that's too much. So then you then you learn once a week or once a month, you know, not too many. And as you get older, obviously, you just have to crack down on the parties because you just can't do them. You're too old. It's really good. How did I, I don't drink coffee, so I can't yeah, get a caffeine kick to yeah. help me go. I literally go, how did I do this before Red Bull? <laughs> how did I, how was I able to yeah. do this and function without Red Bull? Yeah. I, Pro Plus, that was the answer oh, back well, then. Well, that's what happened with, with my friend. Uh, she took Pro Plus and, and caffeine and went bonkers. That's what happened. Yeah. And so I always say, say to my students, don't do Pro Plus. And caffeine it's really bad for you see i'm gonna say i'm, I'm assuming they're college students because they look yeah. quite young walking down the road at eight o'clock in the morning with a pint-sized can of monster mm. and you're literally going really you're at that stage already that you're needing half a liter of monster to get you going in the morning that's not that's always that's always gonna lead to a bad day i think so yeah <laughs> they haven't got the experience of it yet to realize that's not a good way of doing things no all of these things are going to impact their home life, their lesson, their mental health. It's all going to have an impact, isn't it? It is. And sometimes that information comes out in the work they're doing. They might be writing a case study and it's actually about themselves. They might be doing a presentation about something like depression or um, colitis or something like that. And they know so much about it because they've experienced it. And, and what I've noticed over the years is, I mean, years ago when we did health campaigns, it's always about drugs and alcohol and all that sort of thing. Now it's all about depression, anxiety and stuff like that. And they know so much about it. Then you find out when they're talking through the presentation that they've experienced it. They know all the different services to to go to and everything. And actually, there's quite a complex situation going on there, sometimes at home or in their own life, you know, at, that, that then they divulge through their work and it might not be the presentation it might be they tell you something through an email you know think, oh my goodness or you have to play inspector clouseau and read between the lines and and see you oh, know what's going on and then go and have a chat to the tutor and i suppose sometimes is as you said you got that child coming in you know nothing about them and you kind of read their body language mm. but there are other children you know them then you just see them change yeah and it's looking for the change it is that change, and it is the random question about something. Think, why on earth have you asked that? You know, and then it leads to something else. You know, and and it could be, it could be anything, and they might be asking about you know for their friend. They might be asking about something because they're worried about their friend that's got mental illness, and then it, you know you suddenly unravel it. It's like unraveling a ball of wool. You know. Yeah, I can imagine that. It's like, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> it's always a good line. Um, but yeah, sometimes you're asking about something and you're like, that's not do what we're doing. You're kind of asking for guidance mm. in a roundabout kind of way. Mm. And often, yeah, they go, what does this look like? Or why would... That's a really interesting question. Where does that come from? Mm. Yeah. And if it's really complex, then I take them out in the garden and we have another further chat. But what's really important, as I, I said before, is there's all this co-working, you know, the, the, the children's commissioner said it's really important to work with other members of your team, other external agencies. Um, I have my annual chat with the head of pastoral care at college and we go through all the student names and, and I had it a couple of weeks ago and I said, Matt, I don't know if I've got it right. And he said the outcome for students all of them isn't that they get an A star or a distinction star. Some of them, it's they're alive. You know that we've guided them and, and they've got through that really difficult patch. But what we have at college is lots of support and we have tutors, we have a super tutor team and we have a counselling service and the students can drop into the counselling service or book in and they can talk about things like loneliness, making friends, they might have anxiety, they might have low confidence, low self-esteem, depression or abuse. A lot of them have eating disorders, you know, and, and talking about that. 
Um, they might be talking about the family or bereavement or stress or just gender identity stuff. And there might be self-harm or drugs and alcohol. And some of the stories nowadays about drugs and alcohol are quite scary with this County Nine stuff. And so you sort of really have to be on the ball about what's going on, you know. And they might be really anxious because some gang has got hold of them, you know, and that might affect their mental health. I think one of the biggest things is attendance. If they're not attending, why are they not attending? I'm so ill, you know, but I don't think they are. I think, you know, they just don't come in. They can't cope. Something's going on at home. Something's going on in their social group with their friends or something. And they're really worried about it. I suppose at college, in theory, you are enrolling for your future. So you generally yeah. you are picking the subjects you want to do, mm-hmm. you enjoy, will get you to where you want to be. Yeah. So for then not turning up for that is, is a bit of a concern. And why are they not? What's changed? I suppose at some schools where you're going, you've got history. I'm, I'm, uh, personally, I hate history. Don't see the mm-hmm. relevance. Geography, map skills, useful. Hit. So certain subjects I always hated and when you go, what have I got today? And I look at the subjects, and I, was, I can imagine not turning up. But when you're at college and you've chosen those subjects, when there's lack of attendance, that really is quite an alarm bell. It is an alarm bell because a lot of my students want to be nurses, so they want to care for people. And if they're not in and they're not caring for themselves, that is a worry. Yeah, yeah so we, we want to find out what why they're not there. And they might be linked in with social services. They might be a looked after child, in which case you might find out because there might be a meeting with them. They might even tell you. They might be a young carer. They might be an alcoholic. And it's good to signpost these services to them, you know, in the external agencies like Samaritans, um, Rushmore Volunteers. Young Minds is is another one. I mean, there's loads of them in the local area. But what I've noticed is because students love striking their phones all the time and everything, there's now e-therapy. You know, there's therapy that you can get on the internet from from a counsellor or something like that as well. If they can't get the face-to-face, there are other things that they can get. It's also, it's, it's, it's sometimes quite hard to say... I am struggling with this. So actually, mm. let it coming out of your mouth is really hard. Mm. It's, it takes a big step to be able to sit there and say it to someone. Because mm. that way you're kind of admitting itself. But when you can text it to someone, mm. it seems less commitment. Mm. So it means you're, it's easier to say it. Mm. So that way, if, it's, if, if that e-therapy, doing it via chat or whatever mm. on is kind of less confrontational, it's, it reduces the anxiety, I'm all for it. I yeah. do think that actually if I could just message someone my issues, they'd tell mm. me, this is what you need to do, I'd be there. Mm. Because I can do it in my own time. Mm. I don't have to sit there and go, I've got to go here. Oh, why are you going there? I can literally, I could be in my room, I could be at home, and I can access help wherever I am. I don't have to draw attention to the fact I'm getting help, which I might not want to. That's interesting because although we've got a counselling service here, yeah, the students might not want to go up because they might not know that counsellor. They don't want to tell them all their interesting Especially foils. if they, sometimes if you feel you need help, it's because you failed. Some people feel that it's their fault and mm. they, if they're going to there, it's I've accepted. I'm And there's a whole psychological process of stepping through that door mm. and, and asking for help. Um, and if people see that you failed, there's a huge complicated world of going and getting that help. Um, my nephew with his autism wants to be seen as normal. He doesn't yep. want to see that he needs additional support. He doesn't mm. want to have the red cards. So if he's struggling, he can pull out a card. Because if he does that, it means he's different and he doesn't want to appear mm. different. So there's various reasons why people may not want to be seen as seeking out help. Yeah, and I think... If you need special thing, special equipment, um, then you just want to be able to function as anybody else. I mean, I have special equipment in my classroom. I have a special keyboard because I can't see very well. And I've got two large 24-inch monitors. And so everybody that I teach obviously knows, it's obvious. 
but I can function and I can do the job and I can get the work done in the same time as everybody else because I have the equipment. I think I think for children seeing that, that's a great role model. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll sit there and go, I can't do this. Or what, what am I, where am I going to get to in life? Mm. And you walk and you meet someone who has things they struggle with mm. and they use tools to overcome this and they are the person teaching you and supporting you. You're like, yeah. wow, I can do I can, I can do this. I can get past this. It's a great role model to be. Yeah, and I think with lockdown, you know, the students completing their work, having difficulty at home, you've got these online lessons and you might be going through all the students, you haven't a clue who they are because they just appear as big red circles with the letter S in the middle, for example. You're talking to the student, all of a sudden the parrot starts squawking. And I just thought, that poor student, she's trying to work at home. And, and I said, what's the, what's the parrot called? You know, Polly or whatever, Polly parrot. And, and, and that poor child is sitting there on the, on the call, trying to join in the lesson with the, with the parrot screeching at the back. Or a brother or a sister tugging at their leg going, come on, let's go and have some more cake. You know, it's really hard. Lockdown's been really hard. And, and for those students coping in isolation on their own, they've found it tough. And so I think mental health issues have increased yep. with lockdown, as we know. And again, the Children's Commissioner said that they're putting in half a billion pounds for mental health to help young people. That, that is great. Really and, and some children, getting back to normal into school is kind of all they need. For some yep. children, getting back yep. to normal day-to-day routines is all they really want. It's all they really mm. need. When they get there, they'll be like, right, that was past. I'm done. I'm moving back mm. into life. My daughter's are now seeing their friends again. They just seem much happier. Great. I don't know if there's much to go through and analyse, um, but others getting back to that normal could take a long while. Yeah. There are things that have happened which they need to actually process and deal with mm-hmm. emotionally. So there is, there is going to be a lot more work to deal with. Yeah, I think there is. And, and the reasons why students might have mental illness they may be homesick, they may be living with relatives, you know, such as the Nepalese, you know, they've come over from Nepal, they're living with Nepalese relatives, and they miss their home, you know, they could be in the army, they're now here, and they miss their friends that they lived in Germany with, they might have low self-confidence, and so you've got to bring that confidence out of them, you've got to make them more confident, enjoy what they're doing, be relaxed, want to work. They might have specific learning difficulty. They might have dyslexia. And you're giving those instructions and they just can't keep up. Yeah. You know, so it's really important to put in strategies in the classroom to help those dyslexic students. So I would give the instructions and then I call it the ripple effect. I go around the classroom and I go again, that person there with in threes to either side do you understand yes can you help the other two the next person do you understand yes help the other two if they get lost i go round all the way around and there's always 10 minutes later mary will put her hand up susie i still don't understand and so i'll have to do it a different way i'll have to go over it a different way and as long as she's happy she'll get on and she can help the ones either side to her and so they then have the confidence to be able to work they might have anxiety. We had a girl a couple of years ago who was affectionately known as the Heathrow Circler. She had OCD. You tell her what to do, she would go round and round and round and round and round. Have I done it okay? Yes, it's fine. Each sentence. Is that okay? Yes, don't worry, keep going. And then she'll write a paragraph. It's a paragraph okay, Susie. Yeah, that's fine. But she was so anxious. And what I do know is that she finished... At 7.30 on March the 21st last year, because that was the last day that we taught when lockdown was on. And at 11 o'clock at night, her mother wrote to me and she said, thank you so much, Susie Falvey, my daughter, because now that cloud has gone from her head and she can concentrate on her other subjects. And she was driving herself bonkers. And you just had to give her that reassurance that she was doing okay. Some people need that. And I think some people need the reassurance. They need someone just to sit there and ask, you're doing great, you're doing great. They just, and I think when you're alone, if you're working as a team and you see we're all going in the same direction, mm. you can look left, you can look right, 
we're all still together. Great, we're doing the same thing. But when you suddenly, you're at home alone, you've got no compass to guide you next to you. That's right. So when I did the second lockdown, I went into college. I did it from there. And I did it from my classroom. And they really liked it because I put a body behind me. A few puppets. I brought a couple of friends with me today, I think, to show you later. And they loved it. They felt like they were in the classroom. And I had one student that was really, really behind. And she was really, really struggling. And so what I needed was this jar of motivation, which I didn't have at the time. I'm just going to crack it open here. And inside, we've got a few inspirational quotes. Work hard, dream big. I've got a little sweet in there as she finished her work. I've also got a nice globe here, a ball. And I'd say to her, oh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in 10 years' time in the world? You know, give her something to focus on. And when she finished her little task that we were doing, I said to her, okay, I'm going to play you a tune. So I played her. This was all remote. You're simply the best by Tina Turner. She's factor high. She said, I think it's a bit over the top. I said, it doesn't matter. So I put on you simply the best. Da, da, na, na, better than all the rest. You can't just sit in the chair to a bit of Tina Turner. So I just started dancing, as you do, around the classroom. And um, she said, thanks, Susie. And the whole class went, I really enjoyed that. And you get the messages in the box, great dancing, you know, nice singing, yep. whatever. And then the next lesson, if someone finishes something, I'll play I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. And as we get to the chorus, I sing and I open the door. Go, walk out the door, don't turn around now. You don't live here anymore. And I thought, well, they're all going to be gone, aren't they? It's 4.10 on a Friday afternoon. They're all going to leg it. I finished four minutes later. A sea of circles with letters on there. The whole class was still sitting there. They started clapping. I said, what are you clapping for? They said, you've made our day, Susie. It is so boring going through all this stuff in lockdown. One lesson, death by PowerPoint, one after the other. Yep. Um, we've really enjoyed you dancing and singing this afternoon. I will survive by Gloria Gaynor. Can you do it again? So every lesson, at the end of the lesson, I had to play I'll Survive by Gloria Gaynor, do go walk out the door, don't turn around me. The problem was that morning I'd forgotten to take the Ventolin, my inhaler, and I was going, hang on a minute. <sighs> Three people finished and I said, I can't do anymore. Do you mind if I do the shortened version? And I said, yeah, that's fine. But it became this thing that I just had to do it every lesson because they looked forward to it. And it made them feel good. It is. It is. Lockdown lessons can be really, really boring. I've, mm. I've watched my daughters when I've worked at home and I've just kind of stuck my head and went, you're right. And you just see them staring at a blank screen or just a teacher and everything else is happening. They just, it's like they're in a juvenile detention centre. They're locked in a room with their laptop. They stare at their laptop. They're not allowed to talk to anyone. But all not only that is the teachers are teaching 30 rectangles. With oh, letters yeah. in. So mm. for the teacher, they're not really enjoying it. No. They've got anxiety issues as well. It's just, um, and it, I think it takes a lot to uh, sing Gloria Gaynor in front of 30 students. <laughs> you put yourself out there, and Indeed. that's the worry, is you put yourself out there, and then mm. you're going to get rejected. And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to no. you. I can no. tell that with you, Susie. No, I can tell it that. didn't matter at as all. As always, I'm enjoying myself. We go they were, yeah, they were enjoying themselves, and, and and that was what was important. Yeah, it lifted their spirits, it made them feel better, and that's what I did, you know. And 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 we got through it together, and we encouraged one another. And it was important to look at their mindset and change it from fixed to growth. You know, they're sitting at home with a parrot squeak in the background. Oh, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can get so-and-so to help. You can do it together, help one another. You can do it really well. And just praising them for the very smallest thing that they were doing, you know, in the lesson. And then they'll do it. And they, they wanted to do it, you know, and they really enjoyed it. But what was really interesting then when I did I Was Survived by Gloria Gaynor, 
they started putting messages in the chat box. Well done, Elizabeth. You finished. Susie's done another dance again. We really enjoyed that. And they go away feeling really, really good for the weekend. Are you going to put that on YouTube? No, 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 no. There's no need for that. I've got enough <laughs> videos on YouTube already. <laughs> yeah. We've we're supposed to go for 45 minutes. We've been going for an hour already. Oh, sorry. Because we love our segues. Next time we should plan a 20-minute podcast <laughs> and we'll probably still hit an hour. So we kind of got to wrap it up, but I know there is a story you want to share. Yeah, I, I think from all my students, there's one that I remember that has done so well that was in a really bad place. And when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, physiological needs, feeding food, water at the bottom level, she wasn't eating. She was anorexic. She couldn't move up that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. She needed to feel safe and secure. And I think she felt safe and secure in my classroom. Her friends would look after her and she would move up that triangle with love and belonging. We tried to give her that self-esteem so that she could eventually reach self-actualization and pass her qualification and do really well. The girl I'm going to talk about is Jasmine. And I talked to Jasmine quite a bit in class and she said she was really struggling and she said I'm gonna go abroad it was either California or Florida and I'm gonna see the dolphins and I said the dolphins are really good Jasmine they'll make you feel better I went to see the dolphins in Tenerife and I went and did some training with them one day and and it just makes you feel really good and she came back and she started to feel a bit better and and every lesson, I used to send her a message. Well done, Jasmine. I used to send her a picture of a dolphin at the end. And it used to make her smile. And if she had to go to hospital for any reason, then I would just say, how are you doing, Jasmine? And I send her a picture of a dolphin smiling. And she said one day she was in the car with her mum and she started laughing. And her mum said, what are you laughing about? She said, ah, oh, Susie just sent me another picture of a dolphin again. It's a really nice one. So she went and actually did a broadcast on ITV News about children with mental health. And I think Dale may put a link into be, this at the end. I'll be putting a link to that in the yeah. show notes. And then she um, did a video with Surrey Live with her friend. And it was really a celebration that she was alive and she was well and she's dancing and she looks so happy. And it's really nice to see someone like Jasmine in the end, when, when in class she was really struggling, but now she's blossomed and flourished and she's doing really, really well. It's a, it's a long journey. So from that the anorexia and that struggling to eat and that being that very first level where it's not going right, mm. to kind of deal with those problems and then work up that pyramid. Yeah. There's a lot has gone into that. Yeah with lots of different people, but sometimes you talk about people saying, I've got a guardian angel. Mm. And it is sometimes that you're not related to Susie. You don't live with Susie. But mm. Susie sends you dolphin pictures. Mm. It's just someone who, you know, someone's looking out for you and cares for you, who doesn't need to because they're related to you because mm. they want to. Mm. And that sort of thing is a really good uplift. Mm. If um, you're in a situation where someone, someone from your past reaches out to you, not in a horrible way on Facebook, oh, I see you're single, um, not in that kind of way, <laughs> in, a, in a nice kind of way, that really uplifts you that someone's taken. So sending silly dolphin pictures sounds silly when you just say, I've sent a mm. picture of a dolphin, but actually for that person, it's reminded them of that where they went to, mm. where they've been, how they felt at that time. And yeah, I can, that is a huge part of moving up that hierarchy. Mm. You've got a sense of belonging. You've got someone who cares for you, yourself. I'm worth being texted. Someone is, yeah, I'm worth it. I matter so to someone. Yeah, It's huge. And it just takes them up. It really is. It's not always that simple. I'm not saying that. But I think having someone look out for you just because they want to, I think is a really big thing. Yeah, and I think, I mean, finally, I spoke to you right at the start before we started the podcast. I said, what's really important is this book during lockdown by Charlie McKeesey. And finally, I'd just say a quote from his book. 
Everyone is a bit scared, said the horse, but we're less scared together. So to share those experiences in class, co-working with those different organisations to ensure that that student succeeds. Definitely. Big thank you for coming on the show today, Susie. It's a pleasure, Dale. Always a pleasure. And to share the Percy Pigs. Yes, uh, sadly, Percy Pigs were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> Not many are left. We've managed to sneak eating. You may have heard some, but managed to... Uh, a few pigs we were a few pigs down. Um, but really enjoyed it, as I always do, podcast with you, Susie. <laughs> thank you, Dale. Um, so the two videos um, Susie's mentioned and some other links I'll be putting in the show notes so you can watch those two videos of Jasmine, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So they'll be in the show notes, and you can find the show notes wherever you listen to and also on our website. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And please use social media to share The Sendcast with others. Tell them all about uh, Susie's spoon-throwing, orange-juggling, Percy Pig-eating, Gloria Gaynor-singing episode. And before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B-Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education, You'll find a number of our guests or speakers on our virtual SEND conference or have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment products. This is what B-Squared is known for, helping schools show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We cover a huge range from early years to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.